You are now listening to the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast, hosted by Darrell Smith, with Paulus Ruger and Honeymoon in Vegas. Before we get started, I do want to go ahead and uh, do my typical usual thank yous. I want to uh, start by, uh, first of all, saying I got a couple of surprises in store for you guys. You know, coming very, very, very soon. Some some good news. Some uh, some of the good folks I've been working with. Some of y'all might know it, but I don't want to spoil, spoil the surprise. Um, Dakota 283 Kennels. I want to thank those guys, Greg Cronkite and everybody up there for uh, just making awesome, phenomenal kennels. Make sure that you guys capitalize on the uh, promo code. March is coming to an end. All right, that is uh, if you buy yourself one of those good old pretty G3 kennels, you can also get 50% off of the uh, Dynadash products. Use my promo code, capital T-G-D-N-5-0-D-D, and go ahead and get yourself 50% off. Also, Lion Country Supply. I definitely want to give a shout out to those folks as well. Eric Munden and everybody of that way have been phenomenal and spectacular, have always come through. When I uh, definitely had questions about products and things like that. Um, And also I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and start shopping for them. All right, go ahead and start shopping for them. You should, if you're on their subscriber list, should get some emails about some upcoming uh, promotions and deals. I know there's a couple of uh, primer pistols, um, 22 caliber pistols that I want to buy from them. So make sure you go check those out. They are actually at some really good prices right now. Also, the Pride Dog Food. Y'all know I love the Pride. (laughs) That stuff has been working like a charm for my dogs. And, uh... As usual, I always make sure that I'm putting really good dog food in my in my uh, pup system. Vegas has been chowing it down, and uh, Ruger has been chow, chowing it down as well. Um, check out that puppy formula. Spring is coming. If it's getting sunny in your state, you already know you probably want to get yourself another puppy. So, Project Upland. Y'all, have y'all not seen the new AYA film, the trailer for it? Well, I'm just going to tell you straight up, it is an awesome film. So make sure you guys go to Project Upland. Check out my writing. You know, I've got a couple of articles that have been uh, released recently. And uh, definitely just get yourself on YouTube. Find Northwoods Collective. Get in contact with Chet, uh, AJ, Nick Larson, any of those folks. And uh, they can lead you in the right direction. Also, make sure you pick up the Project Upland magazine. Guys, we on issue one now. Don't fall behind. We on issue one. Make sure you pick it up. Contact me. Contact AJ, Nick, or Chet. Um, up that way. And they can make sure you get your hands on it. Make sure you subscribe to the magazine. Also, Orvis. I got to thank those folks as well. I will be going to the Orvis Guide Rendezvous um, at the end of April. Of course, you know, I'm going to be doing some coverage on it, but I just want to really publicly thank those guys. You know, I'm, I uh, got that good old Orvis Adventures email, showed up on the back of the Orvis Adventures catalog. They uh, have definitely done so much for me, more than I was even really expecting. So, big shout out to Reed Bright and Phil Monahan for bringing me into the fold. Um, and last but not least, guys, I'm going to just talk about the Gun Dog Notebook number two. 
I've had a couple of folks reach out and purchase some of them from me. The sales are doing really well. I appreciate that. Um, you know, and I, I do want to say it's been a couple of times where I didn't send the uh, notification email. My apologies for that one, but I did put them in the mail in time. Um, I'm just really bad about sending the, uh, clicking that notification email button that is sent out. So uh, if you guys have any questions about that, please feel free to reach out. I want to make sure you guys get y'all's hands on the, uh, the notebook number two. I mean, my wife sees me documenting this stuff day in and day out, and it's, it's literally an agenda for dog trainers. From what folks have told me, it's really well designed and really well made, so you can't really beat it. Um, I don't know of any others out there, and you know, I hope it's definitely something that you guys continue to enjoy. There will be more coming from the Gundog Notebook very, very, very soon. I think uh, I think I want to be like one of the next great like outdoor writers or something like that, you know, like a Havila Babcock, but just in the Durrell kind of way. So anyway. Guys, make sure that y'all check that out um, for my field trial folks, for my hunt test folks. I know that'll definitely help y'all too. It's getting to be that season. Spring training is here. Make sure you tune your dog up. Make sure you get it all written down. It does not count if you don't write it down. So anywho, um, like I said, thank you all for supporting the Gun Dog Notebook, for purchasing the Gun Dog Notebook number two, and thanks to all of my sponsors and affiliates for you know, just being there for me. I couldn't imagine how well this is going. Um, I just would not have seen that <laughs> two and a half, three years ago. Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed the last few podcasts that I've been putting out. Definitely been putting in a lot of work. And uh, I've got a few more coming up, a few good ones, all right? I hope y'all like that intro too. We're going to start swinging, you know, Ruger and Vegas into this. They're definitely the ones that have made this whole thing you know, worthwhile. So anywho, stay tuned for another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. Again, this is Darrell Smith and we got Jordan Wells of J. Wells Kennels coming up. All right, guys, here we go. To another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. We got Jordan Wells in the studio right now from J. Wells Kennels. Jordan, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, definitely like all the information that you were sending me early, and I think I got my 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 names and all kinds of stuff mixed up because you got all this good wisdom going on. <laughs> <laughs> So that's cool. All right. So you, sir, are up in New York, in Long Island, correct? Yeah, I just moved here in October from Connecticut. Okay, cool. So let's let's talk about your background for a minute, man. You've really definitely covered some ground as far as, you know, dog training and guiding and working in field trials and all of that. How's it uh how's it been for you? Like talk about the start. Well, I grew up young in the outdoors with my dad, you know, hunting and fishing and that kind of stuff. And that kind of led me to bird hunting. And my good friend bought a Llewellyn setter, 
Mm-hmm. And that's the first dog that I ever went out and bird hunted over. And I went out when I turned 21 and got my first short hair because I was raised with German Shepherds. So I was around dogs young, and I've always wanted a German short hair. So when I moved out to college, I went and got one. And it kind of all started there with my first dog. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. So you were smarter than me in college because at 21 years old, I my head was... Definitely not screwed to my neck, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a full-time job. I had a dog, and I was full-time student at UConn. So. Okay. But the dog, the first dog, Lacey, she's eight years old now. She's the one that kind of kind of got me started into it. It's just hunting, and then I started training and watching YouTube videos, kind of how every young kid does it, and buying every DVD that he could And... Just started getting sense of doing hunt tests and things like that and the rewarding feeling that you get from it and it just kind of drives you to go to the next level every time right so it, it started with one dog and then ended up buying another dog and another dog and just kind of brought me down the road of getting into hunt tests and trials and to where i am today so it all started with going in the uh I remember looking in the newspaper and seeing an ad for German short hair pointers up in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And I, uh, I drove up there and put a deposit down, and that was the whole start of everything. That's cool, man. Well, I think that's, you know, a really good start. And what's, what's even more captivating about it is you told me, was it your great-grandfather that had English pointers? Yeah, after my grandparents passed, and I, uh, I never knew, but my grandfather and my dad never had. thing and my grandma passed away cleaning out the house my um, aunt showed me all these pictures of my great grandfather's English pointers and I still have like the gun cabinet that the pointers are you know the pictures taken in front of and it kind of just kind of made me feel good that you know someone in the family was doing the same thing so I don't know how serious but he was a big hunter and my grandpa was a hunter and my dad was a hunter and we've all it's kind of got passed down through that, but it was cool to see that my great-grandfather had English pointers. Wow, that's dope, man. That's dope. I uh, I don't have such a cool story as you because, you know, I don't really know what my great-grandparents did. The closest that I got is I got a um, a gun, a, four, a little 410 single shot um, that turned 100 years old this year. <laughs> wow. So it's antique. Yeah, man. And I, um, I, I got a little one on the way, so I figured I'd, you know, one day teach him on that one. But uh, that I, don't, I, I can't say in my past that I had such a cool story to be able to trace all the way back to my great grandfather, like, and, and he's, he was a very smart guy because you know I'm pointer bias too. So <laughs> yeah. I'm here for so, it, man. Uh, I now, had a short hair, and I felt like I needed an English pointer after seeing that picture. So oh, that's yeah. kind of where that led to. Oh, yeah. Look, you, you got to, man. You got to. I, yep. um, well, so you, now, you were 21, and you started, you know, working dogs and stuff like that. You are, you were at what, Q, QK Kennels first? Is QK Kennels and Quinnabog Kennels is the name. Yeah, I, I went to tech school. I went to college for four years, got a bachelor's degree in agriculture, graduated, and the next thing I did was see an ad for dog training at Quinnabog Kennels. 
and um, I went up there and applied to it and was going to kind of see if I could turn a hobby, something that was very rewarding and, you know, made me feel good, you know, with my own personal dogs Mm -hmm. and turn it into a job. Um, So went up there, did an interview and got the job and it all started there. Okay. Okay. So hold on. And that can't be like your traditional interview. What is that like? What is that process like? The interview? Yeah. Well, it was really just, I mean, finding someone that had the drive, someone that had the the want and was around dogs and was familiar with dogs. But the job entailed more of working obedience dogs, gun dogs, all different breeds, different, you know, applications. But I was hired as the gun dog trainer. That's what they're really looking for. So someone that had experience, but not necessarily their own style is what they were looking for because they wanted to really mold you into, you know, their ways of training and things like that. So they weren't looking for somebody that had 20, 30 years of dog training experience, had their own system and ways. Mm-hmm. They wanted someone younger that they could kind of help train and apprentice and mold. So it took me a couple of years working there to really start learning things and get the gist of it. And But I was comfortable around dogs. I was raised with shepherds, so I was comfortable around big dogs. And, you know, I'm a bigger guy, and I can, I'm not intimidated by the dogs. And yeah. certain things like that, you know, other people different breeds they're not comfortable with so there's a lot of different aspects of the interview that jennifer broom the owner was looking for and then my my knowledge and background of hunting and bird hunting and things like that they all kind of went together to be the right candidate for the job okay Okay. so i didn't go in there with you know dog training you know as a resume it was more of an introduction to dog training and she was going to kind of apprentice me along the way. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Now, when did you, uh, I guess, it, did your experience with field trials and, and hunt testing start, you know, really pick up there, I guess? No, I was doing hunt tests and trials before that. Mm-hmm. Um, the youngest dog I had, I was running puppy derby stuff, and I had another short hair leasing, my first dog. Mm-hmm. I took through seniors and got that title. Okay. So I, I accomplished those things before I got the job there. So I was I was into the competing already and into the kind of, you know, the broke dog stuff, trying to get to that level. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a lot of experience in it, but I had a I had a want for it. So. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Now, you know, as we kind of move forward, you know, through your, I guess, career, because at 20, you're 29 now, right? You're my age. So you've been doing this yes. the last eight years, and now you're up managing a hunting lodge. I mean, you kind of jumped through the roof, through the, uh, the the roof right there, didn't you? Yeah, if you know me, I'm, I want to get to the top, and I want to just keep, keep bettering myself and surround myself around people that are going to make me, make me better. So I've, I really kind of went through the stages at Quinnabog Kennels as an apprentice trainer to a full-time trainer, got promoted to a lead trainer in the first two years where I had, you know, the other trainers working for me. I ran an apprentice program there where I took people in and trained them. Huh. And, you know, Quinnabog's 
really opened all the doors for my future where I am now. She, she kind of put me in the right places and met the right people. And it just kind of wanted, drove me to want to get to the top and want to be the best that I can. So my, my effort and my drive, it was a lot of hard work to get here, you know, making more dog training, your passion instead of just a job. Right. And that's what's kind of drove me to where I am standing now. So. Wow. And, and I mean, you, do you think though, if for someone that wants to be, you know, on the level that you're at, as far as training bird dogs, do you think it's important, you know, to get that apprentice experience or do you think nowadays, because of just, I guess the way, the way things are set up, do you think anybody can just kind of come in and, and, you know, hop in the ranks without that experience? No, it definitely you need that experience, and I've training hundreds and hundreds of dogs at Quinnebog Kennels, mm-hmm. and you know, getting around all different breeds and different applications, different trainers, different styles. Um, it really kind of makes you find your own path. You know, okay. everybody has their own techniques, their own secrets, their own you know little things that they try, and I think that was the road that I went down, but I. I was around people that have been doing it for a long time that have saved me years of testing and fooling around with different, you know, methods to mm-hmm. get me on to something that would get me, you know, success quicker. Right. Right. Um, so things that they've tried and it didn't work, that was relayed to me. So, you know, I could try it for myself, but people were there to mentor and apprentice me down the right roads to pick things up and see things quicker than somebody that's just trying to try it in their backyard that doesn't have that mentor next to them. So the apprentice is, that is definitely the way to go to, to, to get to a professional level. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now, and you know, that's something, you know, I know folks like myself definitely admire, um, is to get to that level. And I, and I enjoy talking to you because, so often I speak to a lot of older guys and, you know, and, and I love it to death because those guys are the ones that really set the pace forward. But I think it, it needs to go on record that you should have, you know, all of that experience and more, you know, from someone who knows. But, you know, you also when I talk to you, you talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of learning your own way and, and adding your own style to training and, I think that's important. You know, you're not a, a robot and you're not necessarily a ripoff of, of anybody else's training, you know? Yeah. And what I tell people is, you know, this isn't a college course. It's dog training is more of an art and you're dealing with a, a living mind. Right. So being able to, you know, teach that dog and train that dog, mentor that dog, that takes a lot of experience and a lot of just being around dogs. Right. So it's, it's not something you can write down in a book and kind of say, you know, when the dog does this, this is the correct answer. You know, it can be done a hundred different ways and, you know, 99 of them could be working. One of them can't be. So you gotta, you have to really be around the dogs and really get that experience. And that's, that's what really got me to understand dogs is just surrounding myself around them. Right. Right. And that's the best way to, I mean, it's, I guess that goes hand in hand when folks say, you know, birds make a bird dog. Well, dogs make a dog trainer. So, yeah. Yeah. If you just, you know, train one or two dogs, you're 
you're missing out. So even getting around other people training dogs and just being in a group and things like that of seeing other dogs and different breeds and not being biased to just gun dogs and mm-hmm. pointing breeds and getting to see everything, it, it kind of makes the whole training process click in your head. Right, right, right. So now at, at your kennel, Jay Wells, you're not just training pointing breeds. I saw that. I mean, you got a cocker in there. You you got a couple of different dogs, you know, in your own kennel. Yes, I have my personal dogs, which are bred for hunting. Um, but for training, I, I will train anything from a puppy to, you know, obedience dogs to aggressive dogs. You know, I will... In the end, they're all dogs. They all speak the same language. Right. So using that, you know, that method of the huntsmith that we'll talk about mm-hmm. is, you know, that it's, it's a bird program, but it can be applied, you know, to any type of dog because it's they all speak the same language. Right. And that's why you can successfully teach a lab, you know, to do obedience, and mm-hmm. you can successfully teach a pointer to do obedience, but right. they're two different breeds. Right. You know. Each breed has their own characteristics, but in the end, they're all dogs. But my personal dogs, yes, I have four short hairs. I have two English pointers. I have a Brittany, which is my fiance's dog. Okay. And an English pointer, or I mean, an English cocker that we just picked up from South Carolina. Okay. Our, our youngest dog right now. So now tell I I gotta go into this. Tell me about the English cockers, man. I. I, that's been a dog that's come up a lot and been in fashion a lot. Um, you know, in the last few years, talk, what characteristically talk about that dog? Yeah, so I've always been intrigued by them. They're used mostly down south as truck dogs for uh-huh. retrieving and things like that. Um, a couple of mentors use them in South Texas for retrieving. But what I was fascinated by was I wanted to have a dog flush in front of my pointers and do the retrieve work and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I got him for the purpose of, you know, working as a flush and retrieve style dog. Okay. And I got the English Cocker over a, a Springer or a Lab due to their size, yep. um, their trainability and their personality. They're just awesome little dogs. Mm-hmm. And I love I've had a handful of them that I got to train at Quinnipiac Kennels, and I just love the way that they they float across the ground and they're quick moving and they're they're just a fun dog to be around. Right. So I've always wanted one, and my fiance she saw a litter down at uh, Lindley Kennel in South Carolina. Mo Lindley, yeah. Kennel. Yeah. So I have been to Mo's seminars and. Um, some of my training comes from his stuff. Okay. And my fiance jumped on a plane, flew down there, and drove back with him. Nice. So, that's how we ended up with him. Wow. So your fiance is definitely, definitely a part of the team too. A big, uh, it seems like a significant part of the team. Yeah, she's a huge supporter, and she can train the dog herself too. She's she's good with all of it. She understands it. And she she can read a dog. Okay. All right. That's. That's dope, man. I, I definitely like to hear that. And I'm glad that you you, you know mentioned uh, Mo Lindley. I'm working on getting him on the podcast um, coming this summer. I actually, I'm close enough to him. I just want to drive up there and, you know, 
just do it in person because that's definitely a, a, another guru that's uh, <laughs> been a heavyweight in the game. Yeah, he's got a lot of a lot of things that I use during the studying process that makes it easier on the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, combined with the you know Huntsmith method, and yep. you know it's not one method or the other. And again, I I drove down to Virginia to um, go to a seminar, and I went through his basic and advanced seminar while I was working at Quinnebog. And you know, I I learned. I took away something from there. I take away something from every dog training seminar I go to. Absolutely. Everybody's getting to the same point in the end. It's it's different roads to get there, but you can definitely learn something from everyone. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, just having that flush and retrieve dog and then having pointers. Now, are you letting your pointers even retrieve since you've got you know, is that something that you're training in there? Let's say just in case you don't have your, your, your cockers with you. The dogs that I, so I'll put it as meat hunt with, you know, go out on a stocked pheasant land with my dad. Those dogs are pointing birds. They're steady to the shot. They're getting out there. They're retrieving birds. And the dogs that I guide with, I want a much more finished presentation for the members. Mm-hmm. So they are, those dogs are all broke you know, to fall and are released to go retrieve. Okay. So, um, you know, this puppy's young. So what I'm doing right now is running him in front of my broke dogs and a couple of trial dogs that I have. And just, they're, they're going to stand there until they're released. So I'm letting him learn the foundation off those dogs. You yeah. know, they're not going to interfere with him or fight him on a retrieve. So he can really have some success there. Right. Right. Now. So I guess, considering the retrieve as as the reward what is the the incentive for that broke dog to stay there you know because a lot of the dogs definitely want to get that retrieve whether it be pointer or, or flusher what's the incentive for them to stay there until until they're released um ultimately through the training process they learn that's their job okay. so if they if they go a whole you know hour without a bird in their mouth they you know, they're not complaining because that's what they were taught to do. Okay. Um, every now and then, I'll throw a, a dead quail to my dogs to eat. Okay. And that's kind of, you know, a little piece of the of the game to them. But, yeah, usually it's, you know, the amount of time that I'm out there. And it's, you know, they'll get some, some piece of the action here and there. Mm-hmm. But when I'm guiding mostly, I'm running uh, one of my young three-year-old short hairs right now, Motley. And she's doing a lot of the guiding for me. And right now she's pointing and retrieving everything. Right. So next season, I'm hoping to bring the English cocker into the picture because the cover is so thick um, in October, November. So instead of me trying to get in there and find the birds in the thick cover, you know, the little English cocker is low to the ground. His nose will pick that bird up, put it in the air much quicker than I can I can find it. So right. Right. that was the whole the whole purpose of getting him okay okay no that's definitely cool man and it's been again i i asked in hopes that this podcast is you know as much of a learning experience for me as it is um you know as it is for the listeners and that's a goal of mine to have this pointer you know completely broke to the fall yeah i think what a lot of people mess up with is when a trainer will tell you your puppy needs to be on a lot of birds, 
people go out and shoot their puppy a lot of birds. Right. Um, being around wild birds, and I don't kill my young puppy as a lot of birds. They learn to hunt and how to work the bird, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily want them thinking about the bird in their mouth. Right. I want them, the, the intensity comes from them, you know, thinking about how to get that bird. Right. So if they know in the end that it's going to be shot or they can catch it, you start losing a lot of intensity and staunchness in a dog. So when my dogs are young, they see a lot of birds, but they're not being shot a lot of birds. Right. So when they go through the breaking process, you're not fighting a dog that has so much want to, you know, put the bird in their mouth. It's more of a dog that's thinking about how to get that bird. Right. And then you can mentor them through the breaking process of how to get to that point instead of them already knowing how to do it. Okay. Okay. See, that's, that's definitely key, man. Um, what really inspired me, um, and I'll be talking about this probably for the rest of my life. I've mentioned it on God knows how many of my podcasts at, at this point in time, but seeing the uh, Georgia, Florida shooting dog handlers field trials down here, I mean, those dogs were completely broke. And I mean, so much as didn't blink the wrong way. <laughs> they and, and I was just like, man, like that is the level. And they were wild birds, you know, they weren't. They weren't stocked. They were t- completely wild birds. We're talking about Thomasville, Georgia. And um, yeah. I just think that's definitely an attainable goal. I, th- I think yeah, it's a, a very of, attainable goal. Some breeds, you know, it helps if you get them, you know, to retrieve some more birds than others. Mm-hmm. If you get to like a pointer and a setter, I think you're dealing with a little bit more of a primal dog. Right. And they can go longer without having that you know, piece of the puzzle Mm -hmm. of actually putting the bird in their mouth. Right. But, you know, building that puppy and that drive young, they're experienced to that. But growing up, you know, they're not, they're not shooting those dogs, a lot of birds and allowing them to make a lot of forward progress. And that's where you get that, that level where you're really not even getting head turns or, you know, a dog acknowledging birds or marking and things like that. That's a, that's a finished performance from a dog. And then, they're using retrieve dogs and a lot of that is from because they're giving that dog a chance to catch their breath and stand there and get ready to get released and go on again right so it's more of that plantation style and that's what field trials ultimately came from mm-hmm. well you, you know we down here in the south so that yeah uh, and, and, and I, that is my goal that's my long-term thing man and i'm so glad you got on here for saying that now um we also want to bring up your mentor, um, you know, Mr. Uh, Sonny, P- Sonny Peacars. Sonny Peacars of Hay Creek Kennel, yes. Yeah, man. Talk a little bit about him. He's had a big, um, a, a very big influence on you. Yeah, he's, he's someone that's pushed me mentally, you know, to, to get to the top and you know, when I'm struggling with a dog or struggling even with anything, he's been he's been a mentor there for me. Um, so it's a funny story how we had Rick Smith out and we did a seminar at our kennel mm-hmm. at Quinnebog Kennels. Jen um, called him out after we were starting to get, you know, unruly dogs at the kennel. We were seeing worse and worse dogs. So Rick came out, did a seminar, saw what we were doing up there and was really intrigued by our agility course and obstacles and things like that. Right. So he sent Sonny out from Wisconsin to come check out. And 
I was told a guy is coming out today to check it out, and I didn't know who Sonny was, and I started, you know, taking him out to the obedience ring and showing him what a wonder lead was and showing him how to use it, mm-hmm. showing him how to heal a dog, and little did I know the whole time he's been doing that method for 20 years. I'm <laughs> so, looking like, who is this young dude? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a new guy that's never been around it, and I'm sitting there teaching him, and... After I found out who he was, I was like, oh, great. I feel like an idiot now. But, no, he's been, um, he's been super supportive. Um, he is, I think, one of the best dog readers that I have ever seen and met. He is someone that has helped me really learn the language of dogs. He's someone that has mentored me. I got to fly out to Wisconsin and spend a whole week with him when I first started dog training and he made a lot of, you know, points for me to be click for me. Um, and he's, you know, I talk to him probably once a week, once every two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, and just stay in touch because he's trying new things. I'm trying new things. And he's a, uh, he's the real deal up there. He's got a, a good operation going and he does a really nice job with a dog. Well, that's definitely cool. And, you know, out in, in Wisconsin, there's a few of my listeners that, that are actually out from that way. So I, I definitely think anybody should, you know, go check them out if they, if you know, if they can. Um, you got to get into, I think it's important that you find mentors or like you said, just get in contact with folks that really know the game. Like there's a lot of good trainers, but I think based on what you tell me about Sonny, like there's a lot of good trainers, then there's a lot of great trainers. Yeah, yeah and the thing about Sonny is he can teach. Um, he can he can mend that language barrier between the person and the dog, and that's that's something Jen at Quinnabog helped me with, is how to talk to the people and relay what the dog is thinking and feeling, and Sonny is kind of an expert in that, and he can... He can teach the person, you know, training is one thing, but teaching is a whole nother level. And that's something that he has pushed me. And I feel like I am one of my strengths now is be able to mend the language of a dog and the person and kind of give them a language to, to kind of communicate to each other. Mm -hmm. And that's where the success is. And people feel that success. That's why, uh, you know, Something that stands out to me is being able to do that and read the dog, read the person, and get it to work. Right, right, right. So, okay, and that and that's Hay Creek Kennels, right? Hay Creek Kennel in Gilman, Wisconsin. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Now, you also um, speaking of, of of Rick Smith and and the Hunt Smith method, which we want to credit, you know, to them. You know, talk about just the breakdown of the Huntsmith method, because I think there's varying levels of it, right? And and just some things that I think you have knowledge of that would be good for the listeners. Yeah, so they the core Huntsmith method is based around a, a puppy development, a foundation level, an intermediate level, and an advanced level. And they're building blocks and you have to do the first one before you get to the second one. So the whole Huntsmith method, in my mind, is a great step-by-step method that allows the person to build each step so solid and leave no holes in the foundation program. So it's, it's something very that's a, 
it's a system that's very well written and very clear for people and allows me to teach people, um, you know, step by step and gives us something to train for. So the puppy development is, is something Ronnie Smith always says at his seminars, uh, puppy needs, you know, peak prey drive and socialization, and that will carry him through formal training. Mm-hmm. So the puppy development is, if it's a bird dog, is one of the most important parts of the whole program and the early beginnings. And then you go into what's called the foundation level, and that's that's where you really start teaching the dog the language that you're going to communicate to him with right. um, through the chain, through the wonder lead, through the check cord, and you're really starting to put a, a point of contact on a dog, um, communicating to the dog through body language and touch. And that gets overlaid into the intermediate level when you start transitioning all the mechanical cues to remote cues on the collar. Okay. And that advanced level is just your fine-tuning and polishing everything where you're off you know, your ropes, you're on your collar, um, the dog's starting to point back, handle, everything's starting to come together. You can add verbal commands. So it's a clear step-by-step program um, that's, you know, well, well written. Yeah. And I think it's a very successful program for people because they have something that they can, you know, write down and sit and look at and say, okay, I have to do this before I get there. Right. And that's that's easy for people. So right, All right, and that's a, that's also very important. You said write down. Um, you know, for me, that's the primary basis of my whole thing. The gun dog notebook is just really writing whatever training method you use. And I want to get back on Huntsmith, but it's important to write that down and track and see and visually see your process. Um, I'm a big advocate of uh, Bud Moore who okay. you know was very good friends with Rick Smith and and uh and uh Delmar and stuff like that and he's very he's one to always say write stuff down write stuff down write stuff down um if it wasn't written it never happened so it's it's very interesting again how some of the 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 foundations of of you know training these bird dogs is being able to visualize the process just as much as it is going through it, you know, and to really write it down and be able to backtrack yourself. So I'm just really glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the Huntsmith method. I mean, if you get around people that are using it today, it's, it's the future of it is evolving so quickly. It's, it's going to be used in obedience dogs, agility dogs, detection dogs, pointing dogs, you know, retriever dogs. It's, um, it's getting widely spread out to all different aspects of applications of dogs. Mm-hmm. So it's it's originated in its core around gun dogs and bird dogs, but it, it's a system that can apply to really any dog out there, and it works. Right, so. right, right. And that's that's important. Now, you've got your own little swing to it. So, so talk about that. Yeah, so the whole, you know, core of it is – you know, outlined and the Smith did, you know, a kind of method that was straightforward and step by step. But a lot of the importance that I learned from Rick and Sonny and Jen and things like that is the details um, and different things like that. So I've taken, you know, pieces of Moe's training and 
pieces of Jen's training and Sonny's training, Rick's and Ronnie's and everybody that I get around. And I've kind of created my, you know, my own little thing. And that's kind of what every trainer ends up doing is they find their own success and what works for them. And, you know, they use that. So I, I've done some different things with like fetch training where I've taken the ear pinch and the toe pinch out of it. I'm using the wonder lead, um, to teach the fetch. Um, I've created a whole a program around that. Okay. Um, I'm using, I'm using obstacle and obstacle course. Um, that's something that we started using at Quinnipiac Kennels. Um, that not a lot of bird dog guys are using. Um, but the obstacle course is a way to mentally stimulate the dog, and it will challenge your point of contact, and it will challenge the dog mentally, and it will challenge the handler mentally. Right. And what it does is it ultimately builds confidence and it builds trust and it gets the dog handling very, very well. And we can get a lot of resistance out through an obstacle course. So we don't bring that resistance and, you know, other baggage to the field. Right. Um, I think where the original Huntsmith method, a lot of things were done in the yard and done in the field. Um, but at Quinnabot Kennels, we, started using the obstacles and that's a huge huge part of my program okay uh, is building different obstacles and working the dog through the agility equipment even though if, if it's going to be a bird dog obedience dog whatever it's a way to really get that dog handling and look for direction and right. ultimately get a lot of the primal resistance out of the dog right where they become very willing okay okay cool I've never heard that, dude, and that's a very unique perspective. So, obstacles, you mean like, um, I mean, I know what you mean, the obstacles, but talk about some of the, the details of it. Are you having the um, the dog do the little run-through thing where it kind of goes left, right, left, right, left, right, and up and down, and so on and so forth? You know what I'm, I'm trying to detail? Yeah, so where the, the method is kind of evolving is using these obstacles to mentally stimulate the dog and that's what a lot of problems are from is the dogs are they're getting cooped up mentally in people's houses or kennels and Mm -hmm. you're getting a lot of bad behavior from that um just like people we go to work we mentally exhaust ourselves we come home we feel tired a lot of dogs aren't getting that right um so the obstacles are built to ultimately kind of challenge the dog mentally it produces stress it produces fear it produces different things that humans experience and we learn to overcome but a lot of dogs never learn to overcome them because they never have a mentor or trainer there to teach them how to get through it right so the obstacles are designed to you know be hard um you know they could be inclines they could be wobbly slippery they could be a bunch of different things you could literally build something out of pallets in your backyard Mm -hmm. Um, but what we're trying to do with them is you know get aggression out of the dog by using the obstacles um where they mentally have to think and pay attention um fear soft dogs shy dogs timid dogs you name it the when you run a dog through an obstacle course they you start seeing the real dog and that's that's the real importance of those obstacles is to get all the resistance all the baggage out and start start getting to the real dog so we could teach them okay cool i mean (laughs) that's probably one of the most innovative things that i've heard because 
people don't necessarily associate, like you said, bird dogs and, you know, any of the, the hunting breeds, you know, so closely to what I guess would be considered, uh, you know, agility and performance dog work. But is I mean, at the end of the day, it is, I guess, mental stimulation for everybody and everybody could benefit from it. You know, I don't necessarily need to be a CrossFit pro, but I can do CrossFit and it'll still be beneficial to, you know, my body in some kind of a way. That's cool. Yeah, and that's what Rick saw up at Quinnabon Kennels is our whole obstacle course and immediately said, you know, we can add this to the program. And, you know, he, he sent Sonny up there to look at it and, you know, Rick's using them during his seminars now and Sonny's got obstacles going. I got obstacles going here. Quinnabon Kennels has an whole obstacle course. So, you know, the people that are using this Huntsmith method and training all aspects of dogs, not just gun dogs, we're, we're running every dog through these courses, and it's it's been a game changer for people to, you know, give their dogs some type of mental exercise at home in their backyards, and for us to really challenge dogs without, you know, having to get, get physical with them. It's more of a mental defeat instead of a physical defeat, which, you know, would be more old-school stuff. Right. Okay. Now, I'm – now, okay – Speaking of that, um, because I, I do believe in, I hate the F word, but a, a certain level of force that goes on in training bird dogs. But I think there's a way to go about that. Um, and, and there's also a way of, of allowing the dog to correct itself. I think the, um, the Wonder League, for example is a very good example of that. I'm a big advocate of it. I use it for myself. I actually, um, and you let me know what you think about this, but I'm actually woe-breaking my dog with the Wonder League because he's two months old. I mean, he's not, you know, I'm not about to put him on a woe post just yet. But, you know, at the food bowl, I somehow managed to um, slip a Wonder League around the dog's butt and that point of contact actually helped me get him to start woeing before I'm feeding him. You know, yeah. it, it. I don't know. I don't necessarily think that's the most innovative thing in the world, but it worked for me. So talk about how you use the Wonder Lead um, in varying levels of reinforcement or force, whatever you want to call it, to get the dog to fetch, to, to get the dog to do those kinds of things. Well, the Wonder Lead ultimately becomes your way to communicate to the dog through touch. Mm -hmm. um, the other part of that whole program is body language. So when you cue a dog on the wonder lead through the training program, they, they ultimately learn to look for direction. Right. And your body is telling them where which direction to go and what to do with that cue. So the wonder lead becomes your, your language barrier and it breaks that. So it it allows you to communicate, you know, the human to the dog. And that's the most important part of that lead. The other aspect of a wonder lead is how quick that it releases yep. and how it, it cues the dog and then releases so quickly. Um, that's a huge part of it. So dogs, you know, you're talking about steadying the dog up, being, being still around food. You know, we're using continuous pressure. And all the other types of pressure is momentary. And you can use a wonder lead to speak very clear momentary style pressure, right. which will overlay to a collar. Right. So 
running a dog through an obstacle course or healing drills, we're, we're using that momentary touch with the wonder lead, which is touching a point of contact. And you're using your body language to direct the dog to go with you, come to you or be still. So what you're doing with your young puppy is, you know, based upon the three instincts that a dog needs to do is go with you, come to you and learn how to be still. The hardest thing for a young puppy to do is be still. And that's, that's early stages of table work and things like that, that you're doing, um, is to teach a puppy just how to be still. Right. So what you're doing is, you know, not wrong. And it'll, it'll benefit you when you get to your post-workout and things like that. It's, it's just the leash, the wonder lead, the check cord, all those tools are just used are a way for you to communicate to your dog, but they have to understand what that cue is. Right. Right. I I mean, George, when I tell you this has been that wonder lead has been and I say it all the time, if I if I had to to only have one tool for training, if I could only have one, wonder lead every time. I mean, hands down. And that's for me, um, because I've seen so much success, I use it on my lab. I, you know, yep. used it to heel break him. Um, and I mean, even to get him to, um, honestly, to steady, you know, I would just, and, and you, you can take it and adjust it all kinds of different ways around the dog's ear, um, you know, definitely behind the head, traditional style. Um, and now, you know, for me, I figured out behind the butt. I mean, that thing is worth its weight in gold, man. Yeah. And an early stage for a pup, a big benefit is is the chain, a cable, mm-hmm. um, a stakeout. Mm-hmm. So that that's the first place a puppy experiences a mental obstacle of restraint. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, what a leash, the wonder lead is, is a a long stakeout, a a way to restrain the dog. Right. So putting a young puppy on a a stakeout and chain can prep them for the wonder lead and it makes the wonder lead teachings even easier. Absolutely. But yeah, the, the wonder lead for obedience, hunting dogs, it's, it's a great tool to, to reinforce, you know, what you need to get done. Right. Right. And I, uh, I've got this little joker on a stake out every chance I get, you know, now I'll, I'll use that. I'll keep him on a stake out sometimes while I'm working retriever drills with my lab. And so, I mean, it's just constant, you know, rotation and I'll take one off and just for sake of just keeping one in place, I'll put, I'll place, you know, I'll place my lab and then take Vegas, the pointer off the, the stakeout and, you know, slip the little wonder lead on. I just really like the system of it, you know, and having that system, being able to alternate. Um, I mean, that's definitely a, 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 a way to go about it. And I think you do a very good job at talking about having a specific system, you know, in place and again, really aligning yourself with the dog. I think that's kind of a big theme that we got going on here. Yeah. It's it's real important to have a map to where you want to get to. And you don't, you know, a mentor along the way is important also. So getting around, you know, groups and other people that train and, to bounce ideas off if you get stuck but you know the the huntsmith method and the system there is is very well clearly written out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i um i'm deb that's another one i want to get the dvds the huntsmith dvds um 
and, and just kind of incorporate that into my training as well. So the, I, most, the most beneficial thing, if you're interested, is just to get to a seminar, um, a okay. foundation to one of Ronnie's and one of Rick's because they are different in their styles and they're, they're kind of the way that they're doing things, mm-hmm. but they're using they're using the system. But a, a seminar with Rick and Ronnie is it's worth its money in gold. It's it'll take you to a whole new level and. There's a lot of things that you can see because there's so many dogs there and so many people there and the questions and things like that. And mm-hmm. you can really, really get a good grasp on things that you can't see in the DVDs or hear in the DVDs and the books and things like that. So their seminars are are, are definitely worth going to. And I, I try to get to a Rick and Ronnie seminar, each one of them, um, every year just to hear if they're coming up with new stuff and you always take something away. You, you refresh your memory and learn something at every one. Yeah. So that would definitely be a, a huge plus in the program. Yeah, for sure. Now, it, you brought up a very good point that I wasn't even totally aware of. Can you talk a, a couple of details maybe on how though how they're using them different? Because, I mean, we're talking about family, man. <laughs> so yeah. what? how are they kind of, you know, how do they have their own little tweaks? Um, I'd say Rick is, Rick is more straightforward and a little bit more kind of old school with the system. And Ronnie is more methodical. Um, he, he translates, you know, things a little different, um, where Rick keeps it a little bit simpler. Mm -hmm. So Ronnie is, Ronnie's still training dogs right now. And Rick is, is doing seminars and things like that. So Ronnie's dealing with, you know, new dogs all the time, new people all the time and things like that. So he's, he's coming up with new, new ideas, new systems, um, things like that. So when I went to my first Ronnie seminar, the format, you know, it was a foundation, but we did different drills. We did different techniques. We did different things. And I kind of was asking, well, you know, I've been to X amount of Rick seminars and, you know, it was just kind of, the same theory and the same idea, but they they have their their differences, and it's important to go to both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Rick is Rick puts on a really good show. He's you know he's upbeat, he's professional, and things like that. And so is Ronnie. So they you feel like you get a lot out of the seminars mm-hmm. where they're it's it's not a trainer just sitting there you know with secrets. They're they're sharing every experience they have to help you, and they're they're going out of their way to help you. Right, right. I think that's definitely gonna be beneficial, man, for folks to get there. And I mean, they've definitely been killing the game recently. Um, I'm a big Cubby Rise Magazine uh, fan, and Ronnie Smith just had a, a very nice write up in there uh, for the February March 2019 issue. I think it's like Volume Seven, Number Two. Um, and Reed Bryant from Orvis did a very nice write-up on them. Just talking about the psychology of dogs. Because um, it's it was on Ronnie Smith and Susanna Love. And, um, and even with Rick Smith, man, there's so much information out there that he's putting there. So I really think, you know, we as, as young bird dog folks, man, we're trying to get into the game. It'd be, it'd be dope to say that we owe it to these guys to get out to those seminars. Um, you don't really learn from them. 
Yeah, it's definitely important to 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 go to those because those are the guys that are are doing it and did it, and it's you know once they're gone, that all you got left is DVDs, with books, and stories. So right, why they're doing their seminars, and it's it's definitely worth going to, and that's that's something I definitely recommend to anybody that's looking to start somewhere would be at a seminar. Right. Okay. I'm definitely here for it, man. You look. I told you you had all that wisdom. I, I got I got tongue tied a little earlier. <laughs> I definitely did. So, of course, we got to we got to talk about Mr. Jerry and Prevento, both of our our, our mutual friend, because you're working with Finn. So, how did you meet Jerry? And talk about the process of training Finn a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So. I met Jerry through a referral from another friend, um, Rick Afuso, who mm-hmm. is someone I met at a Smith seminar. And he uses that method with his dogs. And I kind of kept seeing him over the years at different seminars. He came up to ours. When I moved to Long Island, Rick lives in New York. So mm-hmm. he he knew that I moved here and Jerry was looking for some help at the he kind of referred him to me, and that's kind of how me and Jerry got together. And that, so Jerry came up, we did like an eval, and he kind of gave me the rundown of Finn over the phone, and you know, telling me that he's got a you know a soft dog, you know, they've been going really slow, things like that. And so I I went out and I kind of just didn't say anything, and I I told them to just do what you normally would do. I'm not even here, just watch things and. From the minute he pulled Finn out of the truck, you know, the dog is, is pushing Jerry around and really taking taking the lead. It's, mm-hmm. it's not not any signs of a soft or timid dog. Yeah. It's a dog that was showing a lot of, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, hard-headedness, but mm-hmm. leadership qualities where he's, he's trying to compete with Jerry. Yeah. So, you know. I sat down with Jerry and we, we did a first lesson and we started working then and I think he quickly saw that it was more of a relationship issue there um, and that if you could truly speak to Finn there, there's a lot of dog to work with there right. um, so I think signs of you know Finn being confused and signs of Finn not understanding and the way that he was trying to talk and you know train him was being you know, processed as a soft dog, and uh, that wasn't the case at all. Right. So right. we're uh, we're going lesson by lesson right now, and I, you know, Jerry's he's he's working hard to, you know, really get a handle on this dog because he wants to make something out of him. Right. Well, I mean, and look, Jerry's definitely, you know, one for dedication, man. Like he'll he's gonna stick it out, and you know, I've I've spoke to Jerry for some time now, and when I tell you that's a man that wanted him a, a, an Irish red and white setter and he is going to get that dog trained. <laughs> yeah. He's going to do no, whatever he needs to do to get it trained. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's been a, a good client and he'll turn into a, another good friend. And I think Finn will work out for what he wants to do. He's just, you know, we're, I'm getting comfortable enough with Jerry now where the first couple lessons with people, I, I just start going over the basics, but then I really start working on the person. Right. Um, so the person needs to learn how to train themselves before they can train their dog. And I really, 
I'm really starting to push Jerry to pay attention to details, and that's my whole slogan on my kennel is the definition of detail. Yep. It's it's the details that people are missing that lead up to, you know, behavior issues um, and bigger things that, you know, people are fighting when it started, you know, way back. So the details and things like that, I'm really trying to push Jerry to pay attention to, and it'll make the whole training process easier on the dog and on him. Yep. Yep. So I think so, man. And you know, of course, he as soon as he um, as soon as he told me about you, he was just like, "Yo, this 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 guy knows it. <laughs> he knows his stuff." So it was a no brainer to get you on. And I mean, all the information that you you've you know been so willing to provide on here, man, is definitely proof of that. So you know, I I kind of want to. You know, talk about that, man, because you are a young gun in, in, in the gun dog world, man, and you've definitely, I guess, gone through some adversity. Would I would I be would I be wrong in saying that? I mean, you've gained your respect. <laughs> yeah, it's the hardest thing about being my age and training dogs is the respect and the trust. It's, mm-hmm. You know, you look at a guy that's gray and. He tells you one thing about dog training. You almost want to trust him and believe him because he's been doing it for so long. But someone like me, it's, you know, I'm going out there and teaching people that are older than me, competing in trials against people that are a lot older than me as far as, you know, an age gap there. When I started running trials, they're like 22 years old. And a lot of people that young that are running trials where they grew up in it. So they, they started with it where... I had to, you know, I, I remember going out to my first German short hair club hunt test and I didn't know anybody and just starting to follow braces and even see what the tests and the trials were all about and learning to ride horses so I could trial because I wanted to so bad. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, the biggest thing of being young was, you know, getting into it and trialing is an expensive sport. So rolling up and seeing horse trailers and horses and the rigs and all the equipment that goes to make a successful trial dog and training at Quinnabog Kennels as a young trainer and, you know, having the, the confidence to, you know, teach people that are twice your age and things like that. It's, that was probably the toughest thing. And now I'm at a, I'm at a confidence level where, you know, I can teach it. I, I know it. Um, you know, I'm still learning every day, but I, I have the ability to help the person with the dog in almost every lesson I do. And that success is what brings the trust um, from the, the client and the owner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the hardest part, I, like, you know, I said is it was, was my age and getting that trust and respect from people. Um, but once I started getting it, you know, it was it's word of mouth more than anything in the dog training world. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's where it's it's starting to come to is oh I heard you work with this person, I heard you work with this person. It's it's not big fancy advertising, it's not how much money you have, it's it's not your setup, it's it's more of what the dog is what the dog is doing because they don't lie in the end. Yep. So yep. producing good quality trained dogs is, is really what's helping me get, you know, from client to client and getting some at least respect in the dog training world and some credit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I and mean, I, so. dude, anybody that 
has any kind of question about you, Jordan. I don't. I, I think they would be in a in a wrong mind to to question anything you got to say, man. Just the way it comes off from you just really speaks volumes. You know how you can just read folks' energy. <laughs> you just read folks' energy. Yeah, man. You 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 got it. I'm learning every day, but I'm I'm starting to really really get to the stage where I'm confident, and I. You know, I was always told by mentors is you you learn by getting around the people that are winning and the people that are doing it, you know, right. doing it the best. And that'll cause you to step up and be, want to be better. Right. Um, so if you're going to get beat, be beat by the best. If you want to learn, get around the people that, you know, have been doing it. And that's, that's what I was lucky enough to do is be around leaders. And they have, you know, pushed me to become a leader and want to be better. Um you know, I remember going out to Sonny and, you know, I said, why are you teaching me all this? Why are you sharing all your, you know, secrets and training? And, you know, he looked at me and said, because I'll do it better than you. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And that's like, that's one of the things that's pushing me is, you know, I, I want to do it better than him now. I want to do it. I want to just keep getting better and better. So mm -hmm. I'm keeping an open mind and, you know, I'll take advice and. You know, if somebody else has an idea, I'll listen to it and not say, you know, I've been doing this X amount of years. I'm not even going to give you the time of day. It's dog training. You need that open mind to learn because dogs are changing because the people are changing. So old methods are are there, but they're they're starting to fade a little bit and evolve into, you know, new school style things. And if, if you're not open to that, you're, you're going to fade away with it. So. Mm hmm wow that jesus christ that was that's quotable right there dogs are changing because people are changing <laughs> yep dude that's yeah. that's definitely something so my last one and i and i gotta give you a little bit of grief and and you might catch some humor out of this what do you think and this is just kind of a one-off question for guys like me that are arrogant with pointers what do you think the differences are between a short hair and training that short hair and training a um, an English pointer, like you mentioned that earlier, that you felt like pointers were uh, a little bit more of a primal dog. Yes. So with a short hair, um, I'm going to put them in the German dog category. Mm -hmm. And if you go back to, you know, Weimaraners and German Shepherds and Rottweilers and all the German bred dogs are... They're a tougher dog. They're a little bit quicker maturing. Um, and the English pointer is kind of the opposite of it. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I had short hairs. That was my first dog. And then I, I got, I have a couple English pointers now. And, you know, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I called Rick about it. I called Sonny about it. And one of the pointers I got is just, you know, he's easy, trainable, he's going through the paces, there's not a lot of puppy in him and things like that, and, you know, both of them said that's a textbook English pointer, you know, where the short hairs are, they're going to test you more, they're going to be a little bit more challenging, and I think it's, I think it's from their versatile kind of backgrounds and mm -hmm. that German background, so when you get into dog training and you surround yourself by all breeds, you know, obedience dogs, house, you know, dogs that are in the houses, like, you know, Ridgebacks and Australian Shepherds and Shih Tzus mm -hmm. and Poodles, and I've trained it all. Yeah. Um, 
you start really seeing, okay, you know, I got a poodle. These are characteristics of the last 10 that I worked with. And you see that in the gun dogs and the pointing breeds as well. So, you know, what my short hairs can do, you know, the pointers can do with the short hairs training wise, you know, at the age and the level, those, those steps are a little bit different for me. Yeah. Uh, so my pointers are, they're more natural in the field as far as pointing, backing, and, you know, I see a little bit more primal in them. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more on the wild side, not, not kind of like, you know, the toughness, but. Right. But just uh, instinct. It's just, yeah, it's just easier to bring them through that, that field process where the short hairs are, they're going to test you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of like all those German breeds and, you know, the shepherds and all that, they're, they are always tougher to work with. Right. Um, you needed to be, you needed to, I usually work them first cause I was, you know, I was in my prime. I was, I had to be on my toes around them as far as paying attention to all the detail and things like that, because they, they need a, ultimately a stronger leader. Yeah. Um, so all those, you know, you know, working class, you know, style dogs as far as the detection and canine officer dogs those are those are tough dogs so i think the german short hair compared to the pointer you know i own both so i'm not biased to one or the other but the pointers it's they they're they're classy dogs they're Mm -hmm. they're pretty to watch run they're pretty to watch point they're they're a little bit more easy to bring through the program than the short hair in my opinion okay okay Okay, well, I just got to get this. That that gives me optimism because I got to get this little two month old nutcase. Uh, hell, I just I just need to get him from bouncing off the wall inside the kennel. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I mean, um, with a puppy, I mean, the the keys, everything starts at a young age. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to start instilling that you want to do as an adult, it, it there's no right age to start. It's start the day you get that puppy. Yep. Um, and a lot of people that I work with are missing that is they get a puppy and they, in their mind, they're letting it be a puppy. And that's when a lot of those bad habits turn into really bad habits when Mm -hmm. the two year old, the three year old starts coming around and you know, the puppy age, it's, that is such an important stage in a dog's life. That's where a lot of dogs are are made or broken right there. And right. It, it takes a real good trainer to fix that in the end. If, you know, you right. miss those beginnings. Well, and I, I think, and I don't want to hold too much of your time, Jordan, but you, you keep bringing these great points up. But I think that having a puppy, when people say let that dog be a puppy, I think, I think that might get misconstrued as don't do anything with it. And, just kind of let it run and roam and free. And, and yeah, there's an aspect of that. That's like, let them have fun. You know, the best thing one, one of the guys down in Thomasville told me was, you know, the dog's got to be a boy before it can be a man. And that is very much so true. But at the same time, you still put your kids in school (laughs) before they get to college. So you, um, you know, you, and that's why I say at, and there's some people that'll, debate on wing stringing and its usefulness and stuff and that's fine that's just the process i decided to go through but i as soon as i got that little dog i mean seven weeks old we were working man and getting getting them adjusted to me touching on them and like you say point of contact and 
getting them to hold, you know, even if it's for a quick five little minute session, but you have to get that dog, you know, get that brain going, get that motor running, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, it's important. It's, mm-hmm. That's a key, in, key ingredient to the whole kind of recipe there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, dang, man, I can sit here and talk to you for days, but <laughs> we don't have that kind of time. Jordan, is, is there anything that you want to leave to you know, the listeners, anybody that you, anything you might think is valuable for somebody that's, you know, coming up behind us that wants to do exactly what you're doing. Well, everybody, uh, you know, where I started and it's really surrounding yourself around dogs and dog people. If, if you stay in your backyard and I, I was a shy kid and a nervous kid growing up, I, you know, I wasn't the outspoken one. I wasn't the one to you know, you know, be real kind of pushy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I got my first dog, it it took a little to get going, but getting yourself involved in the seminars and the dog clubs and the groups and getting around dog people and dogs and things like that. If you're, if you're really into it, that's, that's the way to go nowadays because those, it's a, it's a real good community of people and, make really good friends there's really good connections there mm-hmm. it's that is the place to start nowadays it's i don't know what it was like um you know way back because i'm young and it, it sounded like everybody had a dog a hunting dog and right. there wasn't you know a lot of these clubs organized but the best thing you can do nowadays is get involved in your, you know your local nada chapter or you know your local breed club or whether you're into obedience, hunt test, trials, that's where you're going to kind of get your start. And you can really choose where you want to go from there. And then also the seminars, you know, with these older trainers that are getting older and they're not going to be doing it forever. So getting to seminars and, you know, that's where you're really going to hear the stories, hear the real, the real dog talk is, is at those seminars and spending the money where, you know, a lot of people get the books and the DVDs because they're cheaper, but mm-hmm. you know those seminars are worth their weight in gold. They're they're really a great start for someone that wants to either get into dog training or get into testing, trialing, right? Um, and and go to different ones. Keep an open mind. Don't don't let someone sway you into, you know, this is the only way to do it. And that's that's something that I've always kept in the back of my mind is keep an open mind. Right. So. Absolutely, man. Well, I. I'll definitely be, um, you know, trying to make my way up to uh, Bud Moore Seminar up in Kansas. So, just like you, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not, not near as professional as you, but definitely trying to get there myself. <laughs> so, no, I've only been doing it a short while, and I, like I said, I, I hope to keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And you know, the main thing is the reward in this whole thing is working with the people and the dogs and helping them. That's that's. That's a reward you don't find out in a lot of different jobs. Right, so. right, right. Well, man, you know, last thing, how do folks get a get a hold of you? Are you taking dogs in and, you know, social media? How, how do we find you? Yeah, I'm not a huge technology person, so I have a Facebook page, J. Wells Kennels, and you can visit that, and mm-hmm. I, I try to keep it updated of what I got going on and, some little tip videos that I do on my own fetch method and 
things like that. So I have that running. Um, you can email me or call me. Um, but that is a way to reach out to me. I am taking dogs. I do in-homes. I do one-on-one lessons. I do board and train programs. I, I usually take a limited amount of dogs mm-hmm. um, just because I want to produce you know quality dogs. I, I'm not doing it as a commercial operation. It's more of a smaller smaller deal for me um, because I am running this the whole kind of guiding and game part of this club also. Right. So, yeah, social media is a way to look me up on Facebook. If not, um, you know, getting a hold of me through, you know, phone call or email or referral. You know, mm-hmm. anyway, I'll, I'll do my best to help someone out. Well, look, if anybody's got questions, you know I'm going to send them your way now. <laughs> yeah. No, I like talking about dogs and, you know, Quinnabog Kennels and Sonny and Rick and all those guys are, and, um, you know, Jen Broom, her up there at Quinnabog Kennels, they're all, all people using the Huntsmith method and doing it very well, and it's a great place to, to get started, so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't help you out here in Long Island, there's there's people spread out around the country that can definitely uh, be recommended to start with. Absolutely. Well, guys, y'all heard it from the best. That's uh, yeah, Jordan Wells from J. Wells Kennels. And uh, I do want to personally thank Jerry and Provento again for introducing me to you, Jordan. Um, so... For for that, guys, it's another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast, and we will catch y'all on the flip side. And again, I want to thank my sponsors and affiliates, uh, Project Upland, Orvis, Dakota 283 Kennel, Mine Country Supply, and the Pride Dog Food. Thanks again, y'all, and uh, tune in for another episode coming up next week.